Amen. So, all right, this morning we're going we're gonna to have fun, though. We're going to dive deep, and we're going to have a good time in the Lord today. And How many just feel blessed in the Lord? Amen. Just blessed in the Lord. Amen. Well, even after 50 birthdays, uh, I'm still learning new things. I, I think one of my goals in life is I don't want to become that old guy that doesn't learn anything new. You know, we're just kind of stuck over here. I, I'm, I'm excited. I, I learned a new phrase two weeks ago and phrase I never heard before, didn't know what it meant. And I had to actually find, figure this thing out. Uh, I was talking to a group of folks about this message that I was feeling led by the Lord to preach, and I was struggling with the title, and I just didn't know what to title it, and one of them uh, uh, young guys said to me, said, sounds like to me you're saying we're to be built different, and I was like, built different? What was built different? And he says, man, when you're built different, that means like you are you are the elite. You're thinking above others. You, uh, you've got it all going on, right? You're living at a whole nother level. And I was thinking about that, and I'm like, that's exactly what I believe God wants for every one of us. He wants our lives and our families, watch this, watch this, to be built different. When you look at the rest of the world, the families that we're representing here this morning, your family, what we want for you, what I believe God wants for you is for you to look different than what everyone else looks like, right? I mean, so the, the, the term built different kind of is like this. You see somebody exceeding far and beyond those around them, people will say they're built different. Someone's life's doing uh, great and they're going in this awesome direction. They're accomplishing great things. People will say, how are they doing that? They're built different. God wants our families and in relation to society to be built different different. And so today we're going to dive into that. Here's one thing I'm learning about if you're going to be built different in your family, it's going to take intentionality. Everybody say that word with me. It takes intentionality. And this isn't on your message notes. I'm just going to read to you out of the Bible. I want you to uh, hear the words of Jesus uh, as a foundation for what I want to go with, with you today. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 said these words, verse 24, therefore, if anyone hears these words of mine and acts on them, they will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. Somebody shout, it was built different. Because here's the contrast. Jesus said, but everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. And the collapse of that house was great. Uh, here's what I want you to capture here. Jesus says, you're building your family. You're building your house on one of two foundations. You're building it on him and what he's taught, or you're building it on something totally else. Here's what I want you to capture in the illustration Jesus used. The rains uh, fell, the rivers rose, and the wind blew on both houses. It's not like one house is going to go through some things that another house doesn't go through. It shows that there's common ground here. Everyone's going to suffer. Everyone's going to go through trials. Everyone's going to feel the rain. Sometimes the rain comes and it goes and the winds blow on everyone's house. The earth quakes in everyone's house. But where you come out of the storm, where you land is decided on what your foundation of your house is built. 
And I want to be built different. I want you and your families to be built different. Some of you are single today and you're like, man, if he's going to preach on the family, I can check out. I don't need to be a part of this. No, you need to check back in. Especially if you hope one day to have a family or to have a spouse or to have kids someday. But even if you're a celibate, even if you never uh, get married or never have children of your own, every one of us has the power and the opportunity to be an influence in someone else's life. And today what we're going to talk about is how do, we ra- how do we build our lives and our families and the next generation to be different than the social norm? How can we raise up those who follow Christ? Listen, here's what I believe God wants for you when you study the Bible. God wants for you and your family to be happy. But to be happy, you got to be holy. He wants you to be healthy physically, emotionally, and spiritually. God cares about your whole triune self. And he wants you to be honoring to him. He wants you to be built different. How many of you today want to be built different in your life and in your family? Then you want to pay attention. We're going to dive into here. And so in this today, what we're going to do is we're actually going to backtrack Back at the end of the summer, I did a series called As For Me and My House. You remember, we looked at some of the words of Moses and some of the words of Joshua and how that as the children of Israel were going into the promised land, uh, both of these spiritual leaders gave words of advice, uh, caution and instruction to the people of Israel. And there's a significance here. Let's be reminded. Let's go back and look at Deuteronomy at the words of Moses. This is after 40 years of wandering in the desert, after Egypt, or after uh, the exodus out of Egypt. And Moses said these words. Read them with me. So see today, I set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity, for I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God. Say that with me out loud. Ready? To love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to Keep his commands, his statutes and ordinances so that you may what? Live and do multiply and the Lord your God may bless you in the land you're entering to possess. They're getting ready to go on the promised land. He says, hey, here's what I want you to do. You're choosing life or death today. Choose God and he's going to follow you. You follow him and you obey him. He's going to bless you. Let's look at the remaining part of the verse. He says, but... If your heart turns away from God and you do not listen and you're led astray to bow and worship to other gods and serve them, I tell you today you will certainly perish and will not prolong your days in the land you're entering to possess across the Jordan. He said, if you follow God, I'm going to pour out my blessings. But if you follow other gods, I'm going to take my hand off and you're just going to get what you get. Right? He's going to take the blessing away. Uh, After Moses, a new leader rises up. His name is Joshua. Joshua leads the children of Israel actually into the promised land. They cross the Jordan River. The Jordan River dries up. Two million Jews cross over. Miracle of God. They get to the walls of Jericho and they march around it seven times, blow a trumpet and give out a shout. And the walls come tumbling down. Y'all know the story, right? And God just performs miracles. Now they're on the fringes of actually in the land. They're in the land, but they've not taken possession of the land. And you come to Joshua chapter 24, and you have the final words of Joshua. Those were the final words of Moses before he died. Now see the final words of Joshua. Joshua says, therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth Get rid of the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Worship the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today which you will worship. The gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River 
or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. Read the next line with me, everybody. Come on, online campus, do it too. Come on. As for me and my family, though, we will worship the Lord. So now, watch this. Joshua says pretty much the same words as Moses, right? Joshua now stands up and says, you've got to choose for yourself. No one can make this choice for you. You choose to love God and serve God and keep his ways, or you don't. That choice is yours. I can't force it. But I can tell you this, me and my family, Joshua says, we're going to go worship the Lord. Why? Because you remember what Moses said, follow God, you got the blessings of God, you go on your own, you, you, you go without the blessing of God. There's a principle here that both of these spiritual leaders, by the way, what are they doing? Both of these men were acting in the, in the realm of a spiritual parent. They look like a spiritual father here trying to tell their children, you've got a world to go out to, you've got a life to go live, and you've got to choose today what you're going to do with God for the rest of your life. But there are consequences that follow. There's a principle in play here, and here's what I want you to write down in your message notes. The principle still applies for us, and here it is. Let's write it down. The choice you make about God will affect the generation that comes after you. Let's say this together out loud, right? Because I want to make sure you got it. Come on, on campus. The choice you make about God will affect the next, the generation that comes after you. This is so huge. This is so important. So this is what we're going to do today. We're, go we're going to dive into this. Why? Because... When you go to Judges chapter 2, there on your message notes, when you go to Judges chapter 2, watch this, watch this, watch this, you're only 50 years from Joshua in Joshua 24. Moses said, choose for yourselves today what you're going to do with God. Joshua said, choose for yourselves today what you're going to do with God. 50 years goes by, and in 50 years, here's what happens with the children of Israel. They're in the promised land. They're there 50 years. They're settling the country. And here's what we find. Look with me. Previously, this is on your message notes. Previously, when Joshua had sent the people away, the Israelites had gone to take possession of the land, each into his own inheritance. The people worshiped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime and during the lifetime of the elders who outlived Joshua. Stop for a moment. Shout, way to go, guys. You were built different. Right? All right, here we go. They uh, had seen all the Lord's great works that he had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance in timnath Harris and in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. That whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. In other words, a whole generation after Joshua now has died. You ready? Let's read the next line together. And after them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshiped the Baals. Take your pen if you like writing on your message notes or in your, uh, uh, in your Bible. And, and there's something you got to capture here. And it needs to leap off the page at you. There are three things I want you to circle. And the first one is this phrase, did not know the Lord. A whole generation grew up and did not know the Lord. Now, you've got to ask the question, what did they not know? Did they not know about Yahweh? Had they never heard his name? Did they not know the true God that Israel worshiped? No, I'm sure they, they could all quote Yahweh. 
Did they not know the seven Jewish festivals that we just preached through last week? No, I'm sure they still knew them. Probably were still observing them. What this is telling us is, is they did not know the Lord. They knew about him, but they didn't know him personally. There's no personal connection here with God. It's just religion, not relationship. And it's just something you go through, and and, and they're going through the motions. The second phrase I need you to circle is this, nor did they know the works of God, what he had done before them. Nor did they know that. They didn't know God personally. They didn't know the testimonies either. They didn't know the amazing things that God had done. Can you imagine that 50 years after they came into the land of Canaan, they, they didn't even know about the walls of Jericho falling down? Can you imagine that 50 years later they didn't know about how they walked over on dry land through the Red Sea and the Jordan River? Can you imagine they didn't know about the Passover lamb and 490 years of slavery, or 430 years of slavery in Egypt and how God delivered them through the blood of a little lamb on a thing called Passover? Can you imagine them not knowing about manna coming from heaven? All these miracles we read about were so amazing. This generation didn't know God personally and they didn't have no connection to his past. Here's the third thing you need to circle in this phrase is they worship the Baals. Who in the world are the Baals and where did they come from? The Baals were the gods of the Canaanites. There's one ultimate Baal who was superior, and then there were these inferior Baals, and every one of the Baal forms of deity that they worshiped all dealt, watch this, watch this, watch this, dealt with something of interest to you and your human personality and desires. And when we talk about them here in a few moments, you're going to say, oh, I get it, because we could all be there too. But the real question that I need to ask this morning and what I want to dive into is how could a generation just 50 years after they took the land of promise, the Canaan land, how could a generation grow up and not know God, not know what God had done, and how could they turn away from God and start worshiping false gods? And you know what the easy thing is to do? The easy thing would do is like what most people do today when they see a generation that doesn't show the same love and admiration for God is they say, look at these kids. Look at these kids today. Can you believe these kids today? Look at this generation. They don't know God. They've forsaken the Lord. What in the world is going on here? And listen, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's the wrong perspective. Because I believe that when we dive into this, what we're going to see is it's not always the kid's fault. Maybe what we need to do, and I know this is going to upset some of you, and don't send me a bad email because I won't read it anyway, but here, here we go. Uh, I think maybe what we need to do is back up a generation or two. Because Joshua and Moses both gave out the challenge to serve the Lord, and a whole generation, if, you, if we'd read in Joshua 24, if we went on to the next verse, verse 16, the, that generation said, we will, we will serve the Lord, and they did. And that's the generation who went in and took over the land of Canaan. And they were worshiping the Lord. They were serving God. They had their heart right. But they were taking it. But somehow their children who were born in this new land and raised that next generation up didn't know God nor the works of God. And so you got to ask the question, how did this happen? Now, here's what I want to say to you, and I believe this with all my heart. I don't believe it was an intentional issue there. They didn't want their kids to grow up and know the Lord. I believe they they were unintentional, but that's the problem. They were unintentional to make sure their kids grew up and knew the Lord. 
They probably thought like a lot of people do in today's society, that if we just go to church and we have put Bible verses up on the walls of our house and we have a Bible sitting out on the counter table, that through osmosis, our kids would just fall in love with God. It's like if they just can rub shoulders with a Christian, it'll just bleed out of their skin and into theirs. And all of a sudden, they'll have this desire for God. Look at me. Discipleship doesn't happen through osmosis. I believe it was unintentional what happened to that next generation. I don't believe it was intentional. I believe it was unintentional. And here's what I think. And, 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 I'm, and I'm convicted by this because I see how easy it could be in my life and how easy it could be in our lives. And today, the reason I'm preaching on this is because we're going to decide today to be different. We're going to be built different than what we see happen in a lot of other places in our world today. I, we can't speak for them. But how many know we can speak for ourselves today? And, and here's what I want us to do. Here's, I want to grab into this. It's, it's, first of all, we've got to ask the question, how could a generation who knew God raise a generation who did not? And again, I believe it was unintentional, but here's what I think. I think, number one, write this down. Uh, the foundation was built on the, they were, their homes were built on the wrong foundation in this way. They got busy. They were distracted with busyness. Because now they are the ones taking the land. Listen, here's what God promised before the Exodus. He says, I'm going to take you to a land where there's going to be houses you don't have to build and vineyards you don't have to plant. In other words, it's already done. How's it already done? Somebody else already lives there. But I'm giving you this land and you got to go drive them out and you're going to take possession. That's how it happened when Egypt or Israel came and took over the land of Canaan. But here's what they had to do in that first generation after they got in there, right? Now you got this whole country. You've been driving out the inhabitants. You've taken possession. You're like, whoo, look at what God's given us. But somebody then's got to make a decision. Which plot of land is mine? Which plot of land is yours? Which plot of land is yours? Who's going to get that vineyard? Who gets that vineyard? Who gets that vineyard? Who's going to be the blacksmith in town? Who's going to have, take over the medical office over there? Who's going to do this? And who's going to do that? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? And they got busy living life, settling land, starting families, starting homes. And listen, listen, listen. When you get busy and distracted, your walk with God, your relationship God with God can quickly turn into a religion. And there's a huge problem here because you need to understand religion can be dead and dry and just a formalism, but a relationship with Christ is what makes your religion come to life. And if you're not careful, you can go from relationship to religion and never know it just because you're so busy and so distracted. And you can start coming to church on Sundays and bringing your kids here and be like, me and my family are going to serve the Lord. And you're busy all week and you're doing stuff all week long. And you come in here and you have your 65-minute worship service and you leave and you go, check, man, we were spiritual today. Now you get back to your to-do list at home, Right? And what happens is, is you can be sitting here and turn into religion versus relationship. And I believe that was one of the issues they had. Second issue I think they had is this always happens when you get too distracted with busyness is you forget to invest in the next generation. Again, it, it becomes like, okay, I, I'm just going to do the best I can. Hope my kids grab it as we go, but we're too busy to stop. And remember that discipleship takes intentionality and you've got to stop and make sure and you're asking the question, is my kid getting this? 
Is the next generation getting this? And we, even if you don't have kids of your own, uh, being able to uh, employ your life in the lives of others and making sure that people are grabbing a hold of a personal relationship with God and understanding what it means to know God. Are they hearing your testimony? Are you sharing your personal testimonies of how God has worked in your life? Because listen, when you tell others about what God's doing in your life, it gives them faith to believe that God, if he can do it in you, he can do it in them. And faith begins to be developed. But I think that they, ne- they forgot to invest in that next generation. Number three, they let the culture of the day influence them more than the culture of God. They let the culture of the day influence them more than the culture of God. Why do you think Moses and Joshua both were so forward with their statements of, you need to choose the Lord? Why do you think Joshua said, you got to choose God or you can choose choose the God of the Amorites or somebody else? Why? Because they're getting ready to go in the promised land, a land that's already inhabited, and they worship gods other than their God. And they have social norms other than the social norms that the Jewish people were raised with. And they they have culture and ways and traditions differently than theirs. And here's what Joshua and Moses both knew, and here's what you and I better understand, is that when we're sending our kids and our grandkids out into a world, we're sending them out amongst mixed thoughts, mixed belief systems, mixed social norms, mixed religions, all this stuff. And you can't stop that, and you're not supposed to. But you've got to prepare them not to be influenced by it. Because here's the deal, here's the deal, here's the deal. Moses and Joshua were both trying to prepare them for the world they were about to enter into so that the world didn't influence them, but they could stand on their faith and think differently, think independently, think biblically. And one of the things we've got to do is we've got to understand that if we're going to be built different, we've got to create an atmosphere where our kids and grandkids can think independently and think biblically and think for themselves and not be influenced by the world. I don't think any of this was intentional, but just by being busy, not investing next generation and letting the world's culture uh, overwhelm them, they just got lost in it. And a whole generation grew up who knew not the Lord nor the works that the Lord had done. And they started worshiping all these false gods, these Baals. You know, the devil has no new tricks. He just keeps dressing up the same old ones in new costumes. All the way back from the Garden of Eden, all the way up to modern day. If you take the Baals that the Canaanites worshipped, every one of them could be related into three key areas that are interest that that are attractional to every one of us. You ready for them? I'll write these down: the three Baals: pleasure, possessions, and power. In fact, let me give you a Bible verse for this. 1 John 2.16 says, Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The devil has no new tricks. He just keeps dressing the same old ones up, and he keeps trying to make us believe the lie that your value is based on your checking account, your career title, and how many friends you've got on social media. We believe the lie that we are, we are successful only by a dollar amount and by how many people uh, we can in, that we can uh, get their approval of, and we're seeking the approval of people who don't like us to begin with. Isn't that the truth? You ask a kid, what are you going to do with your life? And they tell you, well, I'm going to do this. What's your next job? How much money does that one make? 
And unintentionally, we already plant this seed. Your value is based on the dollar amount you're going to receive. Where God wants you to be happy so you can be healthy and holy and honoring to him, we're, the bales of this world say it's all about your pleasure, your possessions, and your power. If you want to make a real investment for eternity, instead of worrying about investing in people who don't even like you to begin with, invest in the ones who will be there with you when you're in the nursing home or on your deathbed and holding your hand. Invest in your children. Invest in the next generation who love you and believe in you no matter what. And who don't care how many followers you've got on social media. Invest in the next generation. Is this too hard? You're all right out there. All right, you're good. Okay, that's good. This is so important. You know, last week I, I shared with you about if you, if you give your kid one of these, it's a, uh, a loaded weapon, right? And that's nothing wrong with a cell phone. Don't get me wrong. No, but here's about intentionality. Uh, because I really believe that the problem that the Hebrews had was that they just got unintentional. They just got caught up. They got busy. They didn't invest in the next generation. And, and they got influenced by the culture. And listen, you and I can't judge them because we all feel the tension in the room right now because we know how easy that is for us too, right? And, and listen, I'm, I'm not being judgmental on you because I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning too. Amen. Come on, somebody. We all in this. We all feel this tension. And that's why this is so important for us to grow from. Um, you know, I, I saw this report last week, and the reason why I use the, the phone there for an illustration is this. Right now, because of the Israel-Gaza conflict, there is a rise in anti-Semitism in America today. There's an incredible rise of anti-Semitism, especially in college campuses and among Gen Z. And people are asking the question, how in the world is this happening? How will you become so anti-Israel all of a sudden? Why is there so much conf uh, 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 mis misinformation about what's going on over there? And I'm just using this as an illustration because as Christians, we should always stand for Israel and pray for them, but we're also praying for Palestine too because Jesus loves everyone and we want everyone to come to the gospel and we want peace and healing. We want the, the hostages to release. Can I get a witness from somebody? We're praying. We're Christians, right? We want Jesus for all of them. And yes, we stand and support Israel at the same time. But listen, 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 watch this. So a news research went out and said, how is it the anti-Semitism's rising? Where's all this misinformation coming from or this jaded information? And here's what they found out. Most Gen Z gets all their uh, information on the phone. All their news information comes on social media. And so they said, okay, well, let's look and see what's going on. When they do dove into this, they found that pro-Palestine, anti-Israel publications on social media outnumber pro-Israel publications 10 to 1. And then you're like, oh, how's the whole generation getting to where they're like, do away with Israel? And you're like, well, because of the amount of information coming to them, that's all slanted one direction. See, everybody thinks the news is like, you know, neutral. <laughs> Lie. All right, so they're all jaded. Now, am I saying go take the phones away from your kids? No, no, absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with possessions, nothing wrong with career, nothing wrong with knowing what the income's going to be and what kind of lifestyle. We should all want our kids to have a comfortable lifestyle. Here's the deal, here's the deal, here's the deal. It should be balanced. And we as parents need to be intentional. We need to know how to know what's out there to know how to parent our kids and ultimately to want to love and serve God 
first and foremost. In fact, in fact, in fact, Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 6. Watch this, watch this, so cool. Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things, shout all these things. What do you think is in the list of all these things? Then all these things will be added. But it puts God first, and then God says, I'll make sure all these other things come together. But if you seek all these other things first, guess what you're missing out and you're going to lose out on? The God piece. See the intentionality here? See the intentionality that, that we're called to? Because we want to raise up a generation that's built different. If somebody agrees with me, shout amen. amen. So, so here, I'm saying all this to say this, to bring all this down to this moment. If I had to put this sermon in a sentence, here's what it would be. I want you to write this down. Homes that are built different are built on family discipleship. And, and I know some of you have been here for a couple of years. You're like, man, here he goes again with this discipleship thing. Right? I started out the year this year preaching on how to be a disciple. Every sermon series this year has been about, okay, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, I just, I'm, I'm going back, right back to a, ver a pastor scripture you've heard me preach on already this year. But how many know sometimes we're educated far beyond our obedience? And we just need a reminder this morning. I'm just very convicted. We all, including your pastor, we all need this reminder this morning that family discipleship doesn't start in the church. It starts at home. In fact, God gave this passage called the Shema. We've read it before. We've seen it over and over again in the past couple of years. I want us to read it one more time together. The Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 6. God says these words, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what are we to do? We're to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And these words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart Repeat them. Look at this, parents. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in the house, when you walk along the road, when you sit down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. And I want you to capture this. All of this function of discipleship here is happening outside of the temple. This is happening in the home. You see, I, I want you to understand, if, if we send kids off to college or marriage and, and send them out into the real world, and all they know is a few Bible verses and a few Christian songs, we've failed them. We need them to intentionally, listen, watch it, what did that generation not have? They didn't know God personally, and they didn't know the works that God had done. So what were they going to be influenced by? The bells of life. And if we're going to be built different, we have to intentionally go after helping our children know God personally for themselves. We need them hearing the testimonies of God at work so their faith can be built up, that God who worked in your life can work in theirs, and they need to know that there's more to life than pride and possessions and pleasure. They need to know there's a God to honor and a God to serve and a God who will go with you, that greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. They need to know that God is there and that he is worthy to dedicate their lives to. We need our kids to think biblically and think independently from the world's influence. 
In fact, after Christmas this year, we're going to send out a survey to you for you to help us know how to pray for you and your families. What kind of things do we need to be teaching and preaching you on this next coming year to help resource you and your family? Because we're constantly looking at ways in our church so that when you are here for that short amount of time every week, we can influence you or we can resource you the best we can so you can go home and disciple your families well. Everything we do in student ministry and kids' ministries and young adult ministries, our, our care connections, our partnership with Forever Marriage, the way we design the weekend, whether it's a, um, a care connection out there, I think I mentioned that one already, uh, our outreach ministries, everything we do, we do intentionally to help resource you to be able to go home and have conversations about God and share your experiences and help raise future Disciples. See, we have a dream for you, and we, our dream for you and your family is to be a disciple that leads a life honoring to God. Let me show you a couple graphs. We want you to love Christ above all, and we're going to constantly be trying to help resource you for that. We also want to help you engage in your own spiritual growth. We want you to be actively serving somewhere, others over yourself. We want you discipling others. We want to help you be able to reach down to your family and discipling them up in the ways of the Lord. And ultimately, we want every one of us to be able to go share our faith uh, in Christ with others. Everything we do here is intentional. We're trying to take you on a pathway. If you've been to Starting Point, you've seen this graph before. We're trying to help you walk on a path. We don't ever do anything here just say, oh, that's cool. Let's do that. Everything we do, we're trying to take you on a journey because we want you to be able to go home and your families be built different. I recently came across this uh, survey, this research, and I thought, man, you were always talking about, okay, kids leaving their faith after they leave the home. I want to see what to do to keep a kid in their faith after they leave home. Can I get a witness from somebody? And I came across this research and I thought, wow, how powerful this is. I'm going to show you the five top common denominators of young adults who kept their faith after they left the house. Because these are built different families. And none of them, when you see this, none of you are going to say, that's too hard. I, I'm not spiritual enough for that. Are you ready for this? Here we go. Number one, they ate dinner five of seven nights a week as a family. Number two, they served with their families in a faith-based ministry. Mom and dad got involved in their church, and they brought their kids along and had their kids get involved in church as well. Number three, they had at least one significant spiritual experience in the home every week. And when we're talking about that, some of you may be like, oh, is that dad like preaching? Is that mom leading a Bible study? No, it wasn't that at all. They said, some of these kids said, that spiritual experience could be something as minor as before they leave school in the morning, his mom saying, I'm prayed over you already this morning before you go to school, and I want you to think about God today. Go live a life and honor God at school. Or at the dinner table, when the family would take hands and say, has anybody got a need we need to pray over before we eat this meal? And they just simply pray over each other. And it wasn't like every meal. It wasn't even like every day. It was just like one one spiritual moment a week where they saw their families living out their faith, not just going to church. But this was real at home, just like it is here. Number four, they were entrusted with significant responsibility in a ministry at a young age. I got, I got to make a, a, um, a correction from the last sermon in the last hour. 
I, I talked to them about how that, you know, in our church, your kids can get involved in significant forms of ministry here early. Like right now, while I'm preaching to you, on the other side of this campus, we have children leading worship over children. And I said, we have a bunch of sixth and seventh graders. And I had a mom bring their daughter up to me out in the lobby who sang in the last service and led worship over there and said, and fourth graders too. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Even fourth graders are on a stage in the, on this building leading worship to other kids in church today. I'm telling you, we can let our kids get involved in the worship of Jesus and the service of the kingdom. Number five. They have at least one other adult outside of their parents who believe the same thing. Uh, in other words, they got a spiritual mentor in their life. So what does all this look like? Let me just sum this up, and then we're going to close, and we're going to close in a special way this morning with a song. But if I were to take all this I'm telling you today, how easy is the Shema? How easy is it for us to have our families built different? I know we created a lot of tension this morning. But I, I truly believe every family, every home, every person in this room can be built different and lead the next generation to be different. And it's not as complicated as you think. You just take the Shema there, what God said to do in the home. Three practical things I'm going to give you. This is the CWV version of how to practice the Shema. All right, you ready for this? Number one, write this down. Help them connect with you and God. And you can do that simply by scheduling time each week to come sit around a dinner table and talk about the Lord and talk about what God means to you and talk about, let them talk. Let them ask you a spiritual question. Just schedule time around the table together. Eat, pray, and talk and laugh together as a family. Number two, be intentional about growing. Seek out spiritual mentors. Listen, there's a purpose with being in a church family. Find other brothers and sisters in the church, spiritual mentors outside of the family to become a part of your family, to help be a, another influence on your children and your grandchildren, to be an influence on your own life. We all need some spiritual aunts and uncles. And we need to invite them to come and be a part of our families and our lives. We need to get involved with spiritual people and allow that influence to rub off. Number three, we need to go serve together. If you're not serving, listen, there's so many things you can do around here, and some of them are easy, and some of them are more complicated. It's just getting started somewhere, and do something together with your kids, with your grandkids. Let them see you serving the Lord, and let them know they can serve the Lord right along with you. One of the most influential moments that happened to me as a teenage boy was when Lisa and I were dating, going to Lee's Chapel Church in Greenville, Kentucky. And, and, they, and I was so introverted, I couldn't even order my own food at McDonald's. And, one day, and they were getting ready to have their big homecoming services. And one of the men that I admired from a distance walked up to me one day, to a 15-year-old boy, walked up to me and said, I want you to help me at homecoming. We're going to park cars. We're going to be outside all day. We're going to make sure everybody feels welcome. And I want to tell you what, it was one of the defining moments in my spiritual journey. He didn't talk anything Jesus to me, except he showed me Jesus. And Greg Pearson made such an impact on my life that day. <clears throat> Here's the big takeaway. If we're going to be built different, we're going to raise families who are built different. They must have a personal encounter with God. It can't be about religion. 
It's got to be a personal relationship. It's got to be, a, I want my kids and grandbabies to know the Lord. How about you? I had such a great day yesterday. I sat in a deer blind with my grandson all day long. We shot deer. We ate snacks. We laughed. He napped. We had a great time. But we also praised Jesus and talked about the Lord. It's just about being intentional. Are y'all with me today? It's about being intentional because we can be built different. How many want that?